This week, Mark Webber tells us why neither Vettel nor Alonso will be on the grid in 2021. Racing points up Marsafnauer on preparing a team for the most intense run of races in history. And Rosanna Tennant relives F1 esports journey with Matt Gallagher and Tom Deacon. And now, from kitchen tables around the world, this is F1 Nation. Yes, welcome everybody to that bit of podcast land called F1 Nation. I'm Tom Clarkson. And I'm Alex Jakes. And it's great to have you with us for what is a really exciting show this week because we've got some stellar guests for a chinwag about all things F1. As usual, we're going to start the show talking about our highlights over the last seven days. While I have a think about that, Alex, uh, what do you got? Well, I'm going to go nice and basic to start, TC. I'm going to go for Mercedes returning to the track. There was just something about seeing an F1 car back on Silverstone's tarmac. It might be June, but it felt like February. It's all merged together in this uh, strange old year we're having, but it was just great to, to feel like we've got that momentum now taking us to the first race of the season. What I loved about that were the interviews straight afterwards with Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton. Both guys, you could just see the smiles and how much they absolutely love their job. Yeah, I bet they weren't too delighted to have to repeat all of that filming for pre-season again. But uh, no, you're right. They are, they are absolutely desperate to get back out there and get racing again. So second up in terms of my highlights, uh, one of the worst commentator curses I've ever had. This was during the virtual Grand Prix. I was trying to praise one of the participants and this happened. Past Thibaut Courtois, who has been pretty strong, you have to say, considering... Oh! Comment- <laughs> there don't, it is. No, 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 there no. It is, don't say it. Don't Usually say it. me, it's now you. <laughs> oh, the commentator's curse. No, hold on. I don't, don't give me the commentator's curse. <laughs> I don't know if that's the worst one, TC, or the best one I've ever had, but uh, apologies <laughs> to Mr. Courtois. Come on, AJ, it happens to the best of them. And finally, for my highlights of this week, last lap passes. So the F1 Rewind, one of the great modern Grand Prix, Japan 2005, all the leading contenders that year started somewhere towards the back. Kimi Raikkonen comes through the field and it sent me down a rabbit hole. There are so few last lap changes of the lead that are a mega overtake. Normally, last lap changes of the lead, mechanical gremlins, team orders, or contact. I think Kimi Raikkonen's is one of the few moves that we've seen, like a top-class pass on the last lap, when you really drill down to it, very, very rare indeed. And I think that puts in context what was already a mega moment and an even brighter light. Oh, and they nearly touched. Can Raikkonen sweep in? Yes, yes! He can. Brilliant. What a brilliant move. What are your highlights, TC, from this week? Well, I've been watching Charles Leclerc. We've seen the Mercedes guys getting back in action at Silverstone. And of course, Racing Point are going to be back in action at Silverstone next week. But Charles Leclerc thus far has had to make do with some karting in Italy. And I found myself just watching a few laps of that. And it was actually quite a funny moment because he put his mobile phone down his trouser leg whilst he was lapping. Started well, hasn't reach. it? Started <laughs> yes. well, this. And whilst he was lapping, he kept having to sort of reach down because his phone kept falling out of his trouser leg. He uh, So he kept on putting it back in place, then changing gear again because it was a gearbox cart and just doing his thing whilst doing that, whilst racing other cars. It was uh, it was really fun to see Charles in his element, actually, um, because 
Uh, en route to the French Grand Prix last year, I actually stopped in uh, with him at his local kart track near Monaco and we sort of relived a few of the memories. At that point, we were just uh, talking about it. So to actually see him karting and just see how darn good he actually is at that uh, was fun. So that was one thing. And actually, another highlight for me this week was Mark Webber, Mark Webber's Twitter feed. He posted a video of Ayrton Senna at Monaco. And I think it's an in-car piece of footage from, I'm guessing, 1990-1991. And I was just watching this footage thinking, isn't this incredible? So far, so intense. And Webber's observation was Senna missed a gear going into Tabak. I was so in awe of what Senna was doing, hands dancing all over the steering wheel, the gear lever, obviously, that I hadn't noticed. And of course... Weber absolutely nailed it. Senna did miss a gear going into Tabak, and you can hear it if you listen very carefully. So that sort of is so perceptive is Mark Weber and such a great observer of the sport. And of course, he was a great driver too, with nine wins and 213 races. So why not have more top-notch analysis like that from the man himself? So there is Mark Weber through the zoom lens. How are you, mate? Very good. Very good, buddy. Yeah. Um we're getting Zoom World Champions now, aren't we? We're getting all good at this. It's good to see you, mate. And you, and you. Now, first thing I wanted to ask you about, we've now got a calendar. It's going to be eight races in 10 weeks. That's unprecedented in terms of intensity, isn't it? How tough is that going to be on the drivers, do you think? They're like cage lines at the moment, mate. They're ready to go. So I think it's going to be, it's going to go from rustiness to being super sharp and then to being tired, tired-ish. I think just... I suppose mentally, because it's going to be, you're going to have to come out of the gates well in terms of your confidence with your car, tyres, aero, you know. So naturally in Formula One, we like to have a bit of time to get ourselves settled. Um, that's also on the engineering side and the technical side and which venues we go to clearly to prepare as best you can. But they're going to come at you pretty quick. So there's going to be a lot of, I suppose, emphasis on, on the engineering, about getting the drivers, I suppose, confident with what they've got underneath them. That's going to be important. So... If your confidence is high, bring it on. Bring the races on. If you're flying, you'll have one every weekend. But if you're a little bit on the back foot, I think the guys then will say, yeah, well, it's getting a bit tricky, it's hard, whatever. So they're all in the same boat. That's the great thing about it. No one's coming back from an injury or mid-season or whatever. Look, they're all in the same boat. Yes, there's been a few guys being able to run old cars and whatnot. But ultimately, when they drive out the pit lane in Austria and have basically what is a, is a, is a serious test session with a race on the end of it, and World Championship points at stake, it's going to get uh, real very, very quickly. Mark, you mentioned rustiness um, and you mentioned having some of the teams running old cars. Is that something that you would have wanted if you'd been a driver in this situation? Yeah, without question. It's always nice to get as close as you can to the car that you're going to compete in. Um, and so it's the muscle memory. I think they call it MMI in military helicopters, which is man-machine interface. You know, So you've got to get comfortable with your surroundings. And when it's coming at you quick, that's what you get rusty with. When you're doing 350K an hour, um, after a few weeks in the car, that becomes quite natural to consume that type of frame rate. And then information from the team, and then guess what? It's going to sprinkle, sprinkle with rain. We've got some decisions here, and guess what? And they've got a bit of competition around us, and all of a sudden you have some very, very big decisions to make. Now, when you're in the middle of the season, you're, you're very much settled in. But I think the guys have had a little bit of mileage in something that's very, very close, and it's, it's key on lap time. So even positioning is important, driver position. You know, I'm not being fussy, but all, they make a difference. It's just nice that you can settle into Austria as quick as possible. 
And just touching on some of the news that we've had in the last few weeks, reverse grids were muted for qualifying. Do you see that as a missed opportunity or is that not something that Formula One needs to be looking at in your opinion? I'm not a massive fan of that, mate. I just think that, I mean, next we'll have weight ballast, you know, ballasting performance. So how far do we go? Yes, I love entertainment. I love a good race, don't get me wrong. I like seeing one or two guys out of position. We all do. That's quite a, quite a novel thing to go through. But if you want to look at budget capsule, that's one way of putting it all through the roof, watching guys smash through each other coming back through the field. Um, so there's a damage. So um, that would be chopping off your nose to spite your face, wouldn't it? So I think that let's be careful. For the people at home, and let's keep in mind now that, that converting new people to our sport and continuing to have new customers for our sport, it's not easier sport to, uh, to, to, to be understood. And I think that, you know, the more we confuse the, the customer, it's treacherous water, really. So, yeah, I don't think you want to overcomplicate things. Yeah, throw in a few grid penalties, things like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mark, what about another Aussie, Daniel Ricciardo, on his way to McLaren? Do you think that team was his first or second choice for 2021? Wow. Um, I'm not sure, mate. I think that I was with David Coulthard yesterday and we just had a, I mean, 30 second chat about it. We just said like, it's been twice that the Maranello opportunity was there. For whatever reason, you know, that we all think it's just a total slam dunk that it should happen, but it hasn't. You know, why couldn't he agree terms with Maranello? Were they motivated? Was, was, I know he's close to Charles. Is he too close to Charles? I've got no idea. Is that something they would have considered? Um, but ultimately, twice, uh, he, between the pair of them, they haven't been able to sort out a relationship. So then that leaves him with a move because obviously the, the, the Renault marriage has been challenging for him. So with the Mercedes engine and I think the independent teams are going to do pretty well out of, especially McLaren, do pretty well out of this new stuff going forward. I think it's all upside for them. I don't see any downside for someone like McLaren. They can get through clearly. It's tough times for everyone now, but McLaren should effectively, their mean lap time must get closer to the, to the pole position. All right. So which team would you, Mark Webber, rather drive for over the next three years, McLaren or Ferrari, in terms of competitiveness? I'd still go for Ferrari in terms of, I think that they were very flaky. This has been quite granular now, but I think they were very flaky in the winter season testing. They have it on pretty good authority and they were not in great shape. So, you know, Ferrari, they are the last team. So McLaren's a good question. Ferrari are probably the last team to want, which is which we know. Their appetite for the budget cap was, was very small because they do a very, very good job at having a tremendous budget. But we, we must remember the last time they won the championship was, was 12 years ago. And they've had pretty handy drivers and they had pretty handy terms in their favour, even under the Bernie regime. They're still undelivered. There is the romance, mate. It is Ferrari. I still think Ferrari, I think next year, come 22, 23, I think McLaren could be given Ferrari headache. So Ferrari have had some pretty handy drivers, as you say, but has Sebastian been the same driver at Ferrari that you had alongside you at Red Bull? I mean, I get asked this question a lot, obviously, because I know Seb well. I competed with him for a long time. I think that knowing how he works, which is 110%, he puts a lot of time and effort into it and he expects the same clearly. I think that he never quite... And look, he's not in his own. There's been so many guys. I mean, Kimi's immune to... Kimi's immune to, like those type of nuances isn't he? he just gets in the car cracks on which is a strength like that's cool if you could all be like that that's that's brilliant but it's not for everyone michael got in there with effectively you know when you had rory burn south african ross braun you know jean Todd the helm you know you had a very good mixture of of, of culture when rock when when michael was dominating and i'm not nailing the italians but i'm just saying that when they all are one army 
discussed it, they still haven't delivered. Seb, under that regime, I think it just, you know, they, they, they did what they could and he's just run out of puff there. I think he's literally just run out of puff and obviously Charles comes in clearly massively quick, full of, you know, energy, appetite, naivety is bliss. Naivety is a great thing. You just come in and just, just go for it because you don't know anything else. Where Sebastian's been, they've been you know, toiling, getting things going. You know, Charles will know this, you know, in 10 years' time, he will know the same thing and going in, setting up things and putting all the groundwork in. You know, people think I'm biased towards Sebastian. I mean, yes, he's had some challenging times at Friday, no question about it. I think they will miss him. I still think they'll miss that experience. I mean, Leclerc is absolutely world-class, great for Formula 1, good-looking rooster, lang- you know, languages are flying, right? he's brilliant with that, and he's you know, great for the camera, and just, you know, he's, he's, he's brilliant. I can't get a country behind him, obviously, just with the Monogas. It's quite easy. If he was Italian or Spanish, it would have been encapsulated, wouldn't it? But, um, but Seb, yeah, I think they'll still, short-term, they'll, they'll miss someone of his experience and vision and, well, a good Seb, you know, a motivated Seb, but he's clearly not getting out of bed now motivated to drive a red car, and that's an issue. Right, so is he going to retire? What are the key moments leading up to a retirement for a Formula One driver? You've been there, and can you see them in him? I think he'll have a year off. Well, I think I hope for all of us he can reju- rejuvenate himself and get back into into the spirit of wanting to be to be competing at the front again in Formula One. Lap time's a big driver, mate. Lap time and risk. I mean, ultimately for me, it just got a bit harder. You know, in your late thirties, you're just like that tenth is just like just takes a bit longer to get a bit more confidence in certain positions and certain scenarios. It just gets that little bit more difficult. And we see with Valentino Rossi now. Valentino Rossi is a MotoGP you know, legend. We know that. But his, his one-lap peak performances, they're, they're virtually over now. I mean, it's just it's a huge departure of what Rossi could do 10 years ago. Craftiness, experience comes in Sunday. Yes, he's back. But the spring in your step, the speed, the sort of intimidation factor, all those things when you're towards the end, it just gets harder, mate, because... And I think for me, it was very... I wanted to be mindful of, you know, if you are starting to look at your clock and you're like, oh, yeah, the motivation is starting to go off, briefings, ribbits, or whatever. You can't then demand that on the people around you to, to go the extra mile for you. When you can, when you're hungry, motivated, disciplined, all those things, you are one team and you've got a goal. Now, if you're nine and a half out of ten, then you can't have the same mission with your with your um, employees. But he's only 33. He's not late 30s, is he? No. Young. Um, also family. I mean, I don't have children, but he's, he's I've got stepson, Luki, but he's very family-orientated, very private, cool. That's all fine. Everyone does it their own, their own way. Um, but I think that that'll be a factor. Definitely a factor. But you're right. Long way to go, mate. I think he can reinvent himself. He can, you know, reinvent himself, but he's got to have the atmosphere. And I think he really, really, really misses the English way about going racing. I think he, he really enjoyed that. We'll just completely empty the bag for all Formula One topics and throw them at you, Mark. Fernando Alonso, a man you know well. Would you be surprised if he was back on a Formula One grid next year? Uh, yeah, I would. I think that, um, look, he's, you know, we know Fernando is extraordinary, uh, had a, a, an insane career. But same thing now. He's not at his peak anymore. It would be harder for him to, to do what he did in the past. Um, a Fernando at 9 out of 10, clearly still good for someone to have. But Alonso's a serial winner. And mid-pack, you know, what's, that's what he left Formula 1 for. He was, he was determined to say that if I can't fight the podiums, then I'm, I don't want to be in Formula 1. That was the last message we had, I think. 
So, and I don't see an opportunity for podiums for, for him in terms of a, a team that can do that for him. So, you know, we know he's a racer. He's missing it a lot. But, yeah, he's focus. You know, what's the focus? You know, we're like, you know, we see, every week we see something else. You know, where's the focus on all this? And, you know, is he going to be loyal to a new regime, you know, signing a two or three contract for Formula One? Is it just for one year or one year? You know, you're four months in and then the team's looking for someone else. And then, so what's the point? I think it's if he could be long-term and he could pull it off. I'm not saying he couldn't, but I think it would be very, very challenging for him to stay motivated for two years in the middle of the field. AJ and I were talking about your overtake on him going into Eau Rouge the other day. Tell me a better one that you did. I can't think of it. Uh, I did, actually. I think it was, um, I think it was 09 in Barcelona. It's actually a, a, little, a little sneaky one. It's, it's, I think that the Renault had curves then, so there was a restart in Barcelona, and Fernando did me on the start on the front straight and then I dummied, dummied him back down the inside into turn one. So I think that was probably, probably the, technically the hardest move I probably pulled on it. I mean, the Eau Rouge one was clearly, you know, very, very unconventional venue. Yeah, but we always had, look, we never touched each other. We never touched a wheel, which, you know, we had so many, you know, it was like every, it was almost like 50 races or 60 races there. Good couple of seasons we were like hanging out with each other. So yeah, it was yeah he was good to race against. As was Lewis. Lewis was world class. Lewis was clean, never desperate. That's one thing I think about those two. They were just never desperate. They just had so much mind management and composure to fight against. Where I was flapping under the water, they were like um, they were they were bloody bloody handy. Uh, so it was it was great to race them. Oh, Webs, it's so good to speak to you. Well, look, before you go, twenty twenty world champion. I think it's Lewis. Yep. I think he's going to come out. This is set up for him. No mileage, disrupted program. You know, this is a guy that needs no... He doesn't need to hit tennis balls, mate. He's just a, he's just a guy that can he, can... he can get on with it very, very short notice. So for him, I think it's going to be very, very special. Can you imagine Ferrari's 1,000th race at Mugello in September? Well, mate, what I do know, it will probably be 40 degrees. Not one driver's head's going to stay on around that track. If they race in Magello, so fast, isn't it? If they race in Magello, their necks are going to snap in half. It's so with those cars around the back, it's so 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 quick. So um, I think it'll be brilliant. I tested there once in I was seventeen years ago, and it's very 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 quick. So um, yeah, good. Bring it on. Always brilliant to hear from Mark Webber. I thought he explained very, very clearly the struggles of a Formula One driver coming to the latter part of their career and and why it would be such a tall task for Alonso and Vettel to achieve even more given their current situations in Formula One. Yeah, he's so articulate, isn't he? And I remember him telling me once, actually, that it is so all-consuming being a Formula One driver that it is exhausting. He said, you know, even when he was out with friends in between races not even at a grand prix you know he would take himself away from the party early just to make sure he got his eight hours sleep and things like that so it is all consuming it does wear you down and is sebastian vettel at that point in his career now well we're we're gonna find out but for me alex i loved his description of lewis hamilton and fernando alonso and what it was like to go wheel to wheel with those guys and his observation that they are never desperate they've got the whole thing 
under control. There's a sereneness to them almost, isn't there? And and for Weber, I just love that description. And also the honesty when he said, yeah, he wasn't like that. He was paddling away like mad <laughs> under the surface. Whereas those guys, those guys have got it. And, and, and when you watch the Hamiltons and the Alonsos of this world, you can absolutely see what he means. And I cast my mind back to that wonderful race at Imola in 2005 when Alonso had Schumacher breathing down his neck for the last 15 or so laps of the race and he did not put a wheel out of place just everything completely under control or as Mark Webber would say completely not desperate it was great (laughs) still to come we reflect on the explosion in attention for F1 esports in the last few months but first it's time to check in with another expert from the F1 paddock Yeah, that's right, AJ. We've got a team principal up next. It's Otmar Safnauer from Racing Point. Otmar, you're staring at us through our computer screens. Great to see you. Um, How are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, Nice to see you too. Nice to see everybody uh, healthy and and fit and, and, and getting ready for the upcoming season. Has to be said, Otmar, in your case, with slightly longer hair than when I last saw you. I've been struggling to get my hair cut. I don't know when the hairdressers will be allowed to cut hair again or when they're going to open, but somebody told me first week of July, which means I'll miss it. I'll be going off to Austria and then Hungary with even longer hair. Well, we might see you with a ponytail by then. Now, look, Omar, you're a racer. You even raced in Formula Ford in the States back in the mid-90s. Just how much have you missed it? It's, it's, a, it's a good question. You don't realize how much you miss it until it's taken away because I've been doing this for 30 years. So it almost becomes routine. And then when it's taken away from you, then you realize how much you miss it. A tremendous amount, more than I thought I would. And what's the plan at Racing Point between now and going racing again in three weeks' time in Austria? So we've got a lot of work to do. You know, we're going to be racing uh, under different conditions and situations with our mechanics working uh, differently and different protocols to be able to come into the uh, paddock. And we're going to be traveling differently and we're going to be eating differently. And uh, when we're back at the hotel, we're going to be doing different things. And in between races, we're going to be doing different things. So one, we've got to get all that organized to make sure that uh, we do follow the protocols and we stay safe, fit and healthy in between the races while we're away from home. So that's one bit of work that we're doing. And then the other bit is no different than before, except for, you know, we're doing it with social distancing and masks on and and some of the other considerations because of the virus. We got to prepare the cars and get ready to make sure that, uh, you know, when we get to Austria, we're uh, we're as prepared as we can be. And that includes things like uh, having the drivers in and, and doing some simulator sessions uh, starting car set up for, uh, for Austria. We were implementing the track now. It's the first time we've had the Austrian track in our simulator. So there's a bit of work to be done there. And uh, then we're going to do a, a, a media day too at Silverstone just to make sure that, uh, you know, we, uh, we get the cobwebs out, so to speak. Who's going to be driving at that test at Silverstone? So Lance will be driving and uh, we got a bit of work to do at, uh, at Silverstone when we, uh, when we do the, uh, the media day. Otmar, previously in pre-season testing, long time ago now, but previously in pre-season testing, you looked very competitive indeed. How competitive are you expecting to be at the Red Bull ring? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Hard, hard for me to predict, but I think some of the competitiveness that we saw in the winter should relate to the Red Bull ring, number one. And number two, you know, we've, we've had a long time off now, and uh, I don't think anybody's had enough time to 
since we're back to work, develop the car and get new bits onto their car. We certainly haven't. But my expectation is the uh, competitiveness that we uh, we saw in the winter should also be uh, uh, available to us and become evident in Austria. Now, you've been at Racing Point or the teams, the various versions of Racing Point for, for a long time now. Is this the most competitive car you've seen in your time with the team? Yes, uh, I think relatively so. This is, this is the most competitive. We've taken a, a decent step forward. There have been other times where, uh, you know, where we looked really, really competitive. I, I remember, I think it was Adrian Sutil overtaking Michael Schumacher in a, uh, a Mercedes going up the hill at Spa. And, and you know, there, there are, are, are races where we're really, really quick and nearly won one at Spa once. And as a, a general package uh, coming out of Barcelona, which is usually a good indicator of how well your aerodynamic team has done, this is probably the best that I've seen that uh, our aerodynamic team has produced and uh, the, the best we've been at, uh, uh, at Barcelona anyway. Now, you're talking to us from the factory at Silverstone, but there is some factory news I wanted to ask you about and that there's a delay to the new factory. What's the cause of that? Well, mainly uh, we're on a tight time frame anyway, uh, a project plan that was uh, quite tight and we had to uh, break ground in the, in the first quarter of, of this year to be able to, to finish and move in in August of 2021. Well, first quarter of this year, we were in complete lockdown. Nobody was working. Formula One teams were, uh, you, you know, ha- had our yearly FIA imposed break because of it. We couldn't get anyone to progress the, the factory. So it was mainly put on hold and, and it went sideways quite a bit. We came back to work in June, essentially. And, and even now, not everybody is still working. If you can work from home, you're supposed to work from home. As you can see, the uh, hairdressers aren't back. Not that that matters from a, a, a factory standpoint. But my point is, we lost a lot of time because of the uh, virus situation and, uh, and, and the, the government lockdown regulations. So there is no way that we're ever going to now make a uh, completion date of August 2021. So when we looked at, well, how far into the future has this moved, it only made sense to move it by a whole year to August 2022, because that August break is a perfect time for us to move factories without disrupting the rest of the organization and what it's really here to do, which isn't move factories, but it's to go racing to a competitive level. Given the financial regulations that are coming in next year why even the need for a new factory now you got to remember the factory we're in now was built uh in the late 80s i think finished in uh, maybe 1990 and it was built for 150 people you know we're, we're bursting at the seams and because of bursting at the seams we had pockets of engineers working in in different uh locations and it's much more, more efficient if we can all be co-located. You know, everybody's under one roof. It's still worthwhile building a new factory, getting everybody under one roof, you know, including our simulators. Our simulators are in a, a different location now. Our wind tunnel's in a different location. The model makers are in a different location. It's just not as efficient. Number one. And number two, we're going to become Aston Martin soon. Uh, we've got the land. And it'd be really nice to have an Aston Martin Formula One team campus. So not just us, but some of the uh, road car designers and and, uh, engineers as well on campus with us. 
Well, look, you mentioned Aston Martin. Let's quickly talk about 2021 and drivers. We've just had Mark Webber on the show, who's told us that he thinks Vettel's taking a sabbatical. Would you agree with that? Or might he be in an Aston Martin Formula One car? You mean sabbatical Vettel? <laughs> the sense of humour's improved during lockdown, eh, Mark? Really improved. <laughs> I, I, can't speak for, uh, I can't speak for Seb apart from... Uh, I mean, we all know what a great job he's done. He, you know, he won early on in the Toro Rosso, which was fantastic, and four world championships. He's had some great races. And, and I think at his uh, relatively young age of 33, he still has a few good years left in him. But, you know, that's not for me to say. Uh, we are, we're really happy with our, our driver lineup, and, uh, you know, they're, they're signed up as well. Uh, they work well together. We've got Checo, who uh, you know, on, on a Sunday is uh, as good as anyone. He's very calculated, very clever, good racer. Looks after his tires. You know, Lance is much younger than Sergio and learning very quickly, but very, very fast. Uh, great, you know, a, a, has great starts, and when he's in the thick of it, he can race really, really well. And he's learning, so I think eventually Lance will uh, overtake Sergio and, and having that combination of young and experienced is perfect for us all of the above but have you had a conversation with Sebastian Vettel or sabbatical Vettel whatever we're calling him so Seb and I uh we can call him Seb and it works for both <laughs> uh, so Seb and I have been friends for a long time even before he was a Formula One driver I I, I knew him and uh ironically he hasn't called me so I haven't had the conversation with him I guess it's there, it's there pressure to have a Brit in the car going forward, given the Aston Martin links. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't thought of that. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of work to be done between now and then. Uh, you know, in the meantime, they, they're still sponsoring uh, Red Bull for the rest of this year. So, well, I think we got time to think about that kind of stuff. But uh, I hear you. Brilliant to hear from Otmar. Brilliant to hear that he believes that is their most competitive car. And I think they're actually well-equipped, if that is a surprise package in Spielberg, with two drivers, not just, not just Sergio Perez, but two drivers that are capable of exploiting half-chance podiums. When we've seen Lance Stroll at the front end of, of an F1 field, he's looked pretty assured. He had that one opportunity in Baku a couple of years ago and converted it. Absolutely right, AJ. And Perez gets it done when it matters. And I had a fascinating chat quite recently with Andrew Green, the technical director at Racing Point, who said that Perez is not phased by anything. And on a Sunday afternoon, with the race going on around him, he is one of the best. And I, I think it's hard to disagree with him. So if that car is as good as Otmar says, yeah, I think they've got the driving talent to, to get it across the line. Now, it's written into my contract that I have to broadcast with at least one Tom at all times. And during the <laughs> virtual Grand Prix last week, this happened. Of course, uh, we have to have them. Alex Jakes up there, uh, the F1 Nation podcast. Been thoroughly enjoying that. Thank you very much, Alex. And Super of course, plugging. Super plugging. He's a great man, is Tom Deacon. I've, I've always loved his work. Well, typical TC being generous and kind. For me, I heard a shameless and a brazen attempt to get on the show. Well, I have to admit, they're a good bunch of that virtual Grand Prix, so those tactics have worked. We sent Chief Sim Racing correspondent Rosanna Tennant to reflect on F1 Esports' journey with pundit Matt Gallagher and the shameless man himself, Tom Deacon. 
just talk me through how F1 esports has developed since what 2017 now it's been a long old journey hasn't it myself and Matt were there from day one and no one knew what to expect of this F1 esports it was an opportunity to uh, shine a light on these amazing F1 esports sim racers uh, and we took the best from around the world they had to compete online and the fastest got through to a qualification which was held at the Gfinity Arena and then that led them on to Abu Dhabi the best of the best the best 20 we were like well this is incredible where can this go I, mean, I don't think we ever expect to be now four years on thinking you know we get to see the best of the best compete you're talking about the best of the best Matt the talent that we see coming through now in F1 esports is unbelievable the amount of work and dedication these guys and girls put in it's insane isn't it they're known as aliens in the uh, Formula One gaming community because uh, they put in a hell of a lot of work and fair play to them. It's, it's their job for a lot of them. And they're, especially now with the Formula One teams involved, it can be a proper career, which some people probably didn't realize before they, they looked into F1 esports. But yeah, it's amazing to see the dedication that these guys put in. And, you know, I look at them and I think, wow, goodness me, I used to think I was good. And then you see what they do. And, you know, they're inch perfect. Uh, and, it, and it's a complete masterclass whenever I watch them. And you've been taking part a little bit during the lockdown, haven't you? How's that gone, Matt? <laughs> yeah, I've been uh, dabbling in sim racing because, I mean, what, what else can you really do when you can't leave the house? So, uh, yeah, fortunately, I've, I've had a simulator uh, all sorted. And, and it's been fun. It's been good to, to get back in the cockpit and kind of show glimmers of pace, but then usually bottle it. So that's kind of standard for me, really. Tom, what have you made of Matt's performance? I, do you know what? I've been very impressed. However, watching Matt Gallagher reminds me just how good these sim racers are uh, <laughs> and how far Matt is off the pace. But oh, come on. Wait and finish, Matthew. <laughs> However, it just goes to show how good the guys are that we're champion every time we do F1 Esports. But Matt, with more practice that he's putting in with this lockdown period, he's not far off, Rosanna. I, I reckon he's going to be on, on that podium at some point. <laughs> Put a bit of WD-40 in my limbs and then I'll be, I'll be right there. Do we call that sandwich feedback then? It was constructive, wasn't it? I'm proud of Matt. I love Matt. And, and I want him to compete with the best. But sometimes I just miss him being in the hosting desk. That's all, Rosanna. We have seen not only these F1 esports drivers beat you, Matt, but we've seen them beat some Formula One drivers as well. That has been incredible to watch. It just shows that the F1 game in itself is, is a completely different thing. Obviously, it has a lot of um, comparisons to the real life, but it's, you have to know every little nuance, every little technique. And we've seen actually quite recently George Russell learning from the F1 esports coaches within Williams and, and kind of adapting to different driving styles. And he's got a lot quicker now and, and he's kind of left Charles Leclerc and Alex Albon for dust. So it's, it shows that when, when they put in the hard work, uh, especially you know, the F1 drivers, they're, they're very good at what they do. And I'm not surprised that they're quick on the game as well. And of course, we've seen this amazing new side, or probably sides were there already, but we don't get to see on an F1 weekend normally, this amazing personality coming through from all the drivers. What have you made of that, both of you? I, I've, I've loved it. You don't usually see the window into a Formula One driver's life. And 2020, as much as it's been completely negative and horrible in a lot of ways, it's, it's kind of given us a... It's just so weird as a Formula One fan to watch them on Twitch playing games with each other and driving around in trucks and lawnmowers and you name it. It's, it's ridiculous, but it's, it's amazing to see. And I think it's going to be interesting how the fans react now to when they see the drivers because I feel like they 
almost feel like they know them a little bit better. It's the Truman Show. We're, we're watching now. Charles Leclerc, Alex Albon, George Russell. Just 24-7, we want more access into their life. We, the fact that Charles Leclerc's girlfriend got locked out of the house and she had to <laughs> basically subscribe to his, his Twitch channel to make sure that she could contact him to let her in that's what we love and and those moments when you're in the paddock as well and you get to chat to the drivers and they just give you that little bit more glimmer into their real life we we absolutely love it and that's what's great about getting to know these f1 esports sim racers as well and how they're moving into that that esports teams and as part of the f1 Hopefully they've brought in a new community and and new fans to Formula One that hopefully will start watching when we go racing very, very shortly. And and what about F1 Esports then? Because there's been so much focus on it over the past couple of months while we've all been at home. Do you think that interest is going to continue? Will there be a dip, do you think, when we start back at the real thing? It's been really good for the last few months just for people to to stumble across it because you have your F1 esports enthusiasts that would watch week in, week out. But when there, when there's nothing on, you know, you, you check it out. Oh, what's this on YouTube? Oh, it's uh, the F1 esports. Let's have a watch. Virtual Grand Prix. Really exciting. You know, you've got commentary. It's a, a, a polished broadcast. And I feel like a lot of people would have been swayed over from, oh, it's just a game to, oh, this is actually pretty good entertainment because that's what you need. You just need that that one viewing to then go, oh, actually, this isn't just a game. This is a proper sport because it's esports. There is sport in it. It's been very entertaining. And I, I almost say thank you to you, Tom, for that as well, for, for keeping the ship steering in the right direction. Uh, it's very easy to get distracted sometimes, especially when we're working together on the F1 Esports Pro Series. You're normally roaming around, uh, uh, chatting to the drivers. Unfortunately, that, that couldn't happen. We had that brilliant moment during one of the challenges on a Sunday night where Nico Rosberg was interrupted by his wife Vivian uh, in the background. Uh, I have to say that that will, will stick around with me for a long time. Just picking up from what Matt said in terms of where F1 Esports will, will go from here, it, it has provided a bit of joy and a bit of entertainment for everyone. Um, I, I think that Alex Jake's partnership with Matt Gallagher is blossoming, Rosanna. It's, it's genuinely so good to listen to and I think that's something that Matt was commentating before but new opportunities come about and and that's only exciting in, in F1. I think everybody has been brought together by the F1 Esports crew as it were and what about the pro series are we going to see more of that uh, in the coming months? Well I hope so <laughs> it'll be good to uh, at least if they race from home we, we've seen that it it works already with the, the broadcast that we've been doing already so at least we've got that as a as a foundation and we can build from there and hopefully we can start to, to bring the studio and the drivers back in again uh, because it's amazing to have that audience atmosphere as well uh, which I, I do miss a little bit when we're doing the show and there's just bare bones and hardly anybody around it's it's very weird but but yeah I, I don't see why not I think there's more eyes on it than ever so yeah let's bring it back please that'd be lovely as long as I'm with Tom of course oh, of course uh, but the, the interesting thing is it's now the time it will come back uh, for the F1 esports pro series where there's a draft so some of the drivers that have been competing online in, in um, uh, the F1 teams have they, basically they haven't gone unnoticed because the F1 teams are looking to improve every roster. There's transfers moving from team to team that's been going on. So um, it will be starting again later on in the year. So you could have another future winner like David Tonitzo or Brendan Lee coming out of nowhere. 
Thanks for that, Rosanna. Yeah, it sounds like it's been a lot of fun, this eSports. Who have we got on Sunday, AJ? We've got George Russell coming back. George Russell is coming back. The champion-elect He's going to be with Nicholas Latifi. And a, and a shout-out to Nicholas Latifi, who's taken part in every single virtual Grand Prix. So well done to him for being an ever-present member of the grid. We've also got Alex Alban, Valtteri Bottas back again, and Pierre Gasly as well. Cracking lineup. And the F1 Esports experience does not come to a close when the Virtual Grand Prix wrap up this Sunday. Uh, the F1 Esports draft will be back, we hope, sometime in the autumn so those drivers can show their skill even more than they have done during this lockdown period. As ever, we would love it if you would subscribe to the show. And why not leave us a review? And uh, we might even give you a shout out on next week's show. Yeah, we're going to go through as many as possible next week. We have run out of time for this. Our thanks to Mark Webber, Otmar Safnauer, Rosanna Tennant, Matt Gallagher, Tom Deacon, and most importantly, you for listening. Next week, we'll be back with a quickfire mailbag, the return of Challenge Rosanna, and another F1 driver giving their thoughts ahead of the 2020 Formula One season, which is not too far away now. Thank you so much for your company. We'll speak to you next week on F1 Nation. <laughs>